Welcome to the Real Python Podcast. This is episode 89. Are you ready to break open the first days of puzzles from the annual Advent of Code Challenge? Advent of Code is an advent calendar of 25 programming puzzles published each December. Practicing solving puzzles is a great way to build your Python skills. This week on the show, we have previous guest and Real Python author, Ger Anahiela, to discuss his recent article titled Advent of Code. Solving Your Puzzles with Python. We discuss the history of this online advent calendar and the creator, Eric Wassel. Garana covers techniques to help you organize your code and test when solving the puzzles. He shares additional Python tools for parsing text, managing puzzle data, and visualizing your program output. We also talk about even more places you can practice solving programming puzzles. This episode is brought to you by CData Software the easiest way to connect Python with data, SQL access to more than 250 cloud applications and data sources. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Garana, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much. Great to be back. Always fun to talk. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> We're making this a sort of a tradition here. <laughs> yeah, we have a great topic for today as well. So, oh yeah, I'm excited about it. To kind of, I guess, to kick off is you also have kind of a bit of a new role at Real Python, being a little more involved than before. Yes. So maybe we could talk a little bit about what what you're doing for, with the team now. Uh, yes. So up until now, I've mainly been just freelancing Real Python in my spare time. Uh, but starting from uh, well, yesterday when we're recording this, uh, uh, I've started uh, working full time with Real Python. So now I, I'll have much more time to dive into topics, create tutorials, and essentially just work with the team on figuring out what we can do that would be useful for our readers, listeners, uh, viewers, and so on. Yeah, great. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to Me too. Uh, spend more time and potentially have even more conversations. So that's great. Mm. Yes, I'm really excited myself. So you had an article come out last week also. Um, this will be coming right. out you know, Friday from now uh, about Advent of Code. Yeah. And uh, maybe we can kind of start with talking about that project. There was also a an interview with the creator, and I'm hoping pronouncing his last name correctly, but Eric Wassel. I think is how you I pronounce it. I think that's correct. Yeah, and that came out just uh, the week before by Ricky. Yeah. Ricky and I had talked about it in an earlier show. But yeah, what is the Advent of Code? Uh, right. So Advent of Code is an Advent calendar. Uh, so essentially, the, these things that where you op- typically open a door every day uh, in the month of Christmas until uh, Christmas, either Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, I guess. And uh, when I grew up, well, we we kind of had them, and I got uh, one piece of chocolate every day, and. Uh, uh, my, my parents made one with a small, uh, small presents. They tended to be Lego or something like this. Now, 
days. I think you, you can kind of find commercial advent calendars with all kinds of things. Yeah, the one I see all the time is one for, for my pets. <laughs> right, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, give them a treat or a toy every day. You know, so. <laughs> That's nice, yeah. No, I've had the last couple of years for myself, I have a tea calendar, so I get the, oh, there you go. a new tea, tea every day. So yeah. it's, it's really nice. Advent of Code kind of takes this this idea and turns it into a, a coding challenge, essentially. So you get a coding puzzle every day for the days of December. I believe it was started in 2015. So this would be, what, the seventh year it's running? Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, by uh, Eric Wassel. And uh, he has a great presentation uh, online where he kind of talks a little bit about behind the scenes of Advent of Code and how it kind of got started as this small, almost like a, the joke kind of project that he he was just working on for for some friends of his yeah talks about how he probably did the worst traffic estimation ever uh, <laughs> in guessing that uh, yeah maybe there will be like 50 people that are interested in doing something like this and uh, even before the first day um, i think only through word of mouth he had uh, much more than 50 people having joined <laughs> yeah i think for the first year at least there was in the tens of thousands of people joining already in 2015. Wow. So Yeah, that's a big surprise. Yeah, so so they had a busy December in 2015 I think and then uh but it, it's an amazing project. I'm I'm so amazed at what uh, they've been able to do both in terms of kind of the platform of it but also the puzzles are are so much fun to work on. So for myself I actually don't remember how I discovered it but I um, I have dug through uh, my files and realized that the first puzzle I did was um, in December 2016. Okay, second year. Okay. So, on um, the second year. I think, uh, yeah, it took a few days into December, so I think it was like December 3rd or 4th or something that I uh, found this, probably through Twitter or Reddit or something like this. And I think the first puzzle I did was I then actually went back to day one of uh that which is helping santa essentially navigate so you kind of get this right left instruction so you kind of need to navigate somewhere on the north pole and looking for the evil easter bunny or some something like that (laughs) it's always a fun story yeah (laughs) yeah that's one of the cool features right there's this really completely ridiculous story typically about how santa needs your help to save christmas right it always turns out that you need to find 50 stars in order to save christmas uh, so that that's sort of like something that happens every year. And these stars you gain by solving the puzzles. So there's 25 days, and then each day there is sort of like a two-part puzzle. So you get two stars every day. And then ideally then you'll uh, f- fill up and manage to find these 50 stars so you can save Christmas. But the nice thing with this is that even though it's kind of has this built-in time pressure in a sense, and it's kind of, especially when it's running into the holiday season, you kind of... Uh, tend to be busy with other things. Yeah, yeah. All the old puzzles are always available. So even if there's a day that you don't have time to get to, you can always go back and redo them later. Yeah, that's my history with it. Is yeah. I, I found after people have been talking about it for a while and I was looking for ways to sort of practice and I you know, I always have been into puzzles and that's like one of my favorite, you know, areas of, of video games and and so when I came to learning a new language, I think it was, I was dabbling with like JavaScript or something like that. And that's probably the first time I had heard about it. And so I kind of found the old ones. And then when I got into Python, I guess four years ago, 
somebody said, oh, you should check these out. And so the, it's it's mm-hmm. a neat way to kind of translate your skills ac- across. And yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's great that he keeps all of them live, <laughs> you know, that you can still go back and check them out. Exactly. Yeah, no, I'm actually, yeah, one of the, my favorite things as well is to use these puzzles to actually practice something particular. The last year I was using them to practice Julia, uh, this data science language. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And essentially I ended up, the first couple of days I was first doing the puzzle in Python and then kind of just translating it into Julia. Okay. But then as I got more and more familiar with Julia, I was able to, I think, both write julia instead of python in julia which helps and start doing the puzzles in julia first which was sort of like a proud moment when i was okay i managed to do it this today to, <laughs> to actually do the julia first i wonder if that's a common thing people trying to translate their skills across in, in other languages and having a, you know like a set task to do right. it with so kind of being able to compare it because usually you know like i, I remember when i would read uh sample code of something that was like JavaScript and then like kind of in my brain, like, okay, how would I convert this into to Python? wasn't mm. too far abstracted. They're pretty similar. Something like R, mm. where I'm not sure how Julia looks. Um, R looks very different. Like it has uh, some really kind of unique structures and syntax, you know, before yeah. you start adding libraries. <laughs> so mm. um, what has been your experience as far as like comparing different languages using something like this? Uh, yeah, I've had a lot of fun with it. And I think yeah, of course, uh, uh, there's this old saying, you, you can write Fortran in any language. <laughs> you kind of, whatever language you, you're most used to write, you kind of tend to take those ma- mannerisms from that language and try to pry them into whatever new language you want to try. Them. So so the challenge to yourself a little bit is to, uh, to try to actually write in that language properly, right? And not just do the word-for-word translation. But that Take some time, and, and that's another place where I really like the advent of code puzzles because they, they are fairly small and self-contained. So you can kind of create something that works, and then you can kind of work through it and and come up with ways to kind of make it more fluent for that language and things like this. And uh, there's also this huge community around advent of code. So even for weird languages, you'll you'll be able to find other people who have. Uh, solved it in that language who might have more experience than you and uh, so like julia which is i guess an up-and-coming language i found quite a lot of people who had solved advent of code in julia so i would kind of go and look at their solutions after i did it myself and, and learn a lot of, about the language that way yeah you learn the idioms or hmm. what have you that are kind of like start to make sense the really interesting use of uh you know for loops in python you know, not requiring, you know, increments and things like that, that you can you know, right. use iterate, iterables and, you know, tools like enumerate, which I remember um, uh, John Fincher getting super excited about um, mm-hmm. last year in Advent of Code. He's like, oh my gosh, I really was excited to use this because we had like a real Python article that came out at the same time. Right. Um, you know, kind of giving you that nice count as you use it. And that was something I used um, to solve some of the first puzzles of this this one. Mm just as something that kind of came up in my mind. I'm like, oh, I could I could solve it this way. Uh, in your article, you kind of go into you know, not only the history, you dive into the something I, I do want to talk about more, which, you know, if people are interested in you know, where are other puzzles they could find and, and, and practice this stuff. But you have this neat quote from, um, I guess it's Joe Armstrong. Yeah. And the quote is, make it work, then make it beautiful, then 
you really, really have, if you have to, <laughs> really, really have to make it fast. Right. Uh, 90% of the time, if you make it beautiful, it will already be fast. So really just make it beautiful. <laughs> and I really agree with that. Like if it flows and it makes sense, and especially problems like this, they're, they're not computationally intense. You could see ways you could do more with it, but you know, with a modern computer running hmm. the examples, at least that most of the ones that I've seen, um, it's, it's really, I guess you could test it and do further. Is that something you do? Like, have you gone into the whole like optimization things for me? I like, I really just want to solve it and then maybe think about like structurally, right. you know, how to, pretty prettify it you know <laughs> yeah so so there's been a couple of problems not not that many that are that can be computationally heavy oh, okay uh, if you if you use kind of the wrong algorithm so if you kind of just try to brute force your way through it it mm. won't work but then so so there's some of those where you kind of would need to work up uh, a better algorithm essentially uh, so there's been a few of them but they usually they tend to be late in in the in the calendars as kind of the the, the difficulty increases yeah. Okay. I remember one I remember I was struggling with was day 18 of 2019. So two years ago. Yeah, I was struggling quite heavily with that. And I think I may not still haven't solved the second part of it. So, but I, I have seen people solving it in with less than half a second of running time. So it is something that should be doable. Okay. So, but yeah, what I tend to do a little bit yeah i have gone back and reworked some solutions when i kind of either have gotten a new idea for something or or just uh want to try something out i remember there was there was a cool puzzle last year that essentially asked you to uh, redefine the rules of mathematics in terms of precedence so usually you want to do multiplication first and then addition right oh okay yeah okay this some somehow there was again some weird backstory about how they they had invented a new kind of math where you needed to do addition <laughs> first and then multiplication. Usually it's the elves that are screwing this all up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there was something there again, and then of course the, the the intuitive way to do this would then just be to parse everything yourself and then make sure that you do the addition first and then multiplication later. And I first solved it like that but then i kind of realized that well with python you can also just kind of re-implement the operations so re-implement re plus and and multiplication for for your own numbers so i kind of just uh, then did a solution where i essentially took my own numbers and then flipped around multiplication and addition so that i could use the natural precedence rules of, of python for those operators and uh, it was a fun uh, exercise then in just playing with the object-oriented parts of Python and figuring out how, how that worked. And since this was in a the smaller setting of the puzzle, uh, I could do a lot of testing on it. And, and I learned several of the pitfalls that uh, it wasn't as straightforward as I'd hoped, but it, it was still fairly doable. And it kind of turned out to be a neat solution to the whole thing. So, yeah. That sounds, yeah. I, I, so you were like re-implementing uh, special methods for add and... Yeah, exactly. So, so Y and things like that? Okay. Yeah, so if you have, if you create your own class, right, you can um, uh, implement, if you want to implement plus for your, for instances of your class, uh, you just implement the double underscore add method on it. Uh, so essentially what I did was just, I had my own integers, but whenever you try to do an add, it would multiply. And whenever you try to do a multiply, it would add. And then... 
if you just wrote out uh, with the math with those with those new numbers, it, it would kind of do this weird math that was in the puzzle. Oh, uh, okay. We'll do it. Okay, because there, there is a a precedent order that Python has, right? And so you were sort of mod. Okay, okay. You're modifying what they did so that you could have it use this new precedence that had been set. Puzzle. Yeah. Okay, that's fun. So essentially, they do. <laughs> so whenever it's so a multiplication sign, it would do plus because that that goes yeah, before yeah. Okay. the the plus sign. It would multiply, which goes last. And um, so, so it's been a few of those where I've been able to kind of do some w- weird solutions and then just try things out. CData software. Connect, integrate, and automate your data from Python or any other application or tool. At CData, we simplify connectivity between all of the applications and data sources that power business, making it easier to unlock the value of data. Our SQL-based connectors streamline data access, making it easy to access real-time data from on-premise or cloud databases, SaaS, APIs, NoSQL, and big data. Check out cdata.com to learn more. I, I liked the article how you, you know, a lot of people might write this as a, a script. You know, a lot of people think of Python as like a scripting language. I'm just like, come up with this straightforward, like do this in order and so forth. And one of the things that you stress, I think in the article you kind of stress is like, well, you, if you want to make this sort of repeatable, if you want it to be able to be testable to, you know, run the, there's always sort of a test case that he provides and an answer for in that, that maybe you should actually be building these as functions and hmm. and then you can be reusing the test data versus the the actual problem data uh, in there, which I think is really smart. And then you had a couple other kinds of things that you're adding. So what, what's your idea behind that, sort of uh, templatizing some of these things? Right. And it, uh, yeah, it, it does definitely depend on what you kind of want out of Advent of Code. And I think the answer to that is almost uh, yeah it uh, depends on 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 you and it's different between everyone um and i think just to make sure it's spelled out you can definitely just write the simple scripts and advent of code is just great for especially the early problems often can just solve them in the in the REPL even just interactively playing with stuff yeah um so i think that that's great but uh, uh, as you kind of get more into it, uh, you, you can also use it to practice different things. And one of those would be how to set up testing, how to do unit testing in particular. So if you want to do that, then it's nice to have functions that you can uh, that you can test. And uh, once you kind of get a little bit into Advent Coding, get used to the question, you'll see that, that there is a very uh, set structure to the whole thing that will kind of be repeated every day so you kind of need to parse the puzzle input somehow you need to solve part one you need to solve part two and it all comes from the same input and so on so so you can just set up a template that kind of takes care of for instance reading in the input that you can always do that the same way and then the parsing might be slightly different but it's quite often it's some kind of list of numbers or some kind of list of uh, symbols, so so you can kind of set up a few different parsing functions like that, and then be prepared for the puzzle solving part, which is much more varied. Had you primarily done it with like just sort of copying? You know, one of the things I guess we could maybe note is that 
even if somebody was to share their their solution as they log into this thing, the data that is provided to them beyond the the example data that's in, stated in the problem statement is going to be unique per user. Yeah. And so you can't just simply plug in in your you know session, if you will, as you go to admin to code, their answer, it would come up wrong because it, it would hmm. be your unique data, um, which I think is really clever. You know, I, I know of other puzzle sites where that's not really the case. It's not kind of thought of that way. Right. But that does make it kind of funky in the sense that you have to get this data. <laughs> yeah. And getting the data, you know, as you click on a page, it it's just like, you know, it's like a stream of text stream of stuff. And so you could save that as a text file. Hmm. I don't know. What, what, what were your techniques that you went through? Cause there, there is a new way that, that I found through your article that, that I was like, Oh, that's, that's intriguing, but right. kind of has its own difficulties too, to it. Um, as far as, uh, the way you parse it compared to like what you would parse out of a text file. Right. So, yes. Yeah, so, so originally I would just essentially click on the link on the webpage and copy paste usually from the from the input data that was then shown to me. Um, I think, yeah, possibly in the beginning, I would then paste it directly into my code, but quite soon I figured it's nice to paste it into a separate text file because then it's easier to yeah. just say, I want to run my solution against this input or I want to run it against the example data and things like this. It's easy to switch them around if I just have them in a couple of different text files. But uh, there, there were actually a couple of days when I... Did, uh, I was kind of told I had the wrong answer and I couldn't figure out the problem. And at some point I realized that the copy-paste buffer on my computer wasn't big enough to copy-paste the data. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so I was kind of only getting parts of the input. So, so then I... Gosh, where would it max out at? Uh, I don't know if it's maybe a megabyte okay. or something like this. I, I don't know. Hmm, interesting. All right, okay. Huh. So, and I, I have heard from other... There's, I think even Eric Wassel himself mentioned at some point that that, that is one of the most common mistakes that kind of trips people up, um, is that didn't get all the input data, essentially. So uh, that there are tools that people have developed, and by now I think there are quite many of them, different kind of sort of like command line tools for advent of code. Uh, but the one that I use in the, um, in the tutorial is one called uh, advent of code data, I guess. Yeah, all hyphens in between the words. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it comes with a small command line tool that's called AOCD, so Advent of Code Data. Its easiest function, at least, is that you can just say AOCD and then say twenty twenty one ten or something, and then that will uh, download the day ten of twenty twenty one, and you kind of just get your input data directly. So, so you can either store them to a text file, or you could even call call this package directly from your code and just read it directly from from the website when you run it. Yeah, it's nice. You can, you know, for Python-wise, it's you can just pip install it, yep. which is kind of nice. Exactly. And this particular tool also has the possibility that you can submit your answers directly from the tool even. So so you could kind of automate the whole thing. Oh, I didn't find that part uh, yet. Into it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I actually mentioned it in the tutorial, come to think of it. But yeah, it has several, several, several of these more advanced uh, features as well. And and you can get a look at your history of your previous solutions if if you kind of keep keep trying things and they're not working and things like this. It takes a little bit of work to um, either set up an environment variable with mm. again your personal cookie yeah. 
data for it. Um, and there's you have links for it in the article. Definitely look for that if if you're interested in using this tool. Because hmm. and then even you know when you go to use it, it'll it'll sort of warn you, which is good. Yeah, but that yeah that took a minute for me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's fairly easy to use once you set it up. And the magic to setting it up is that you need to have your unique identifier so that it knows it's you. Uh, and this unique identifier isn't very easily accessible. So essentially what you end up doing is just go into your uh, these developer things on, on in the web browsers and then look for yeah. the cookie that is, is set on that web page. Yeah, when I went into that in Safari, it was a little weird because right. it, it had everything else with it. I had to get rid of like, uh, okay. all the other yep. like information about it and strip it down just to the raw string yeah. <laughs> of the cookie so yeah exactly but yeah once you've done it once then it should be okay and yeah you had a whole bunch of other kind of cool suggestions in the article of things that you might not be think of you know python is fantastic in the sense that it has all these built-in tools as part of it the whole sort of batteries included mm. mentality of of python but Sometimes you're going to want to maybe use some additional things. And so maybe we could talk about some of those additional right. uh, packages that might come in handy. Uh, yes. So there's, I think, every year there'll be a couple of problems that takes a little bit of extra text parsing. Um, I think you can usually always get away with sort of like doing some splits and then some slicing and things like this with strings that are often easier to do if you know a little bit of this regular expressions kind of mini language where you can kind of yeah. uh, specify that, okay, I need this to be three strings interspersed with some numbers there and then pick out the space that's there and, and so on. I guess regular expressions are famous for being fairly complicated to, to especially read afterwards. I think they're almost easier to write than to understand after you've written them. <laughs> that's funny. And they're not that easy to write either, if, especially if you haven't been exposed to them. What I tend to use and kind of works, I think, in 99% of the regular expression cases is a neat little library called parse. And what it does is that it kind of just reverses the f-string syntax. So when we want to use f-strings for printing something, right, we just put the variables within curly braces and then it interpolates the variables into it. Yeah. So what parse does is that you can kind of then add a template string where you just, where there's things that you want to capture, you add the curly braces and then give them a name inside of there. So it looks really like an f-string, uh, but it's then parsed in reverse so that you can then uh, essentially pick out. So this this first word, for instance, should be uh, an idea, and then there comes uh, there comes uh, age maybe, and then a color afterwards. And I kind of just uh, make the template string for this and then use parse. And um, what parse actually does in the background is to build this regular expression for you, uh, but you don't really need to care about that. You don't need to look at the regular expression. Uh, you can just see this nice little pattern. <laughs> or be confused by it later. <laughs> right. Um, although, if you really want to learn a little bit more about regular expressions, you can definitely just uh, pop it up and, and have a look at it and, and compare it with the pattern. So, so I really enjoy the parse library for those kind of problems. I think that's uh, a really neat one. It seems to be a pretty common area of the the problems that come across is some yeah. you know text uh sort of wrangling <laughs> exactly yeah it's I, I like that there is data wrangling to this uh, that's a conversation we've had a few times uh, with Kyle Stratus yeah. um you know the, this whole idea of like 
so much of information that's provided uh, is so clean often mm. and and ready to go and you know it's like all nice and, and neat and it's like no actually that can be 50 percent or more of the problem yeah. <laughs> solving is just like getting it into like something where you can actually do you know more of your problem solving on it which i, I think is i don't mm. know, i i like tackling those types of problems i think that's a fun part of the puzzle yeah no definitely and uh, i think yeah, one thing that uh in the template that i kind of uh, offer in, in the article i i have kind of split out the parsing step as its own separate step and um, often it is just okay convert this list or this string into a list of numbers or something like this but sometimes um, you can do quite a lot of of the parsing earlier to kind of make the problem easier to solve later and i think that's always a, a fun challenge to see how how can actually prepare this data for something that's uh, that's useful to work with later yeah we already kind of mentioned the idea of adding tests and, and unit tests, yeah. but you said explicitly maybe you want to break it into something a little more advanced, like like PyTest. Is that something that you do? Yes, I have been using PyTest quite actively, and it's kind of nice to just be running on this uh, on this smaller test set, both because it's faster, but often because you can you can manually just check that things are okay. And then um, when PyTest then lights up all green for me and says that I've solved it for the example problems, I'm usually fairly confident that I also solved it for the, for the begin. But although there's, sometimes there's some surprises there, but it's usually quite, quite ready then. And uh, so, so I tend to use it quite, quite a lot. Okay. I've now tested it this year. I've started being a little bit more conscious of trying to run some doc tests as well. So essentially the small examples that you just write into the doc strings and PyTest can run on those as well. Uh, so it, they're kind of nicely integrated and I, it's a it's a great way of just debugging and seeing what, what works and what do, don't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you mentioned NumPy. Uh, yep. you know, a lot of people think of pandas, but just NumPy by itself can be really handy. Yeah, I think for these kind of puzzles, uh, usually NumPy, plain NumPy is more e easier to work with often, especially that there's usually some problems every year that involve some, some kind of grid. And then your NumPy kind of data structures are great for doing the grids, both because the, 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 you can easily address different parts of the grid and, and it's typically really fast. So you can kind of get away with doing stuff that might be too slow to, to do with lists of lists and things like this. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about, those kind of structures, yeah. Right. So I think uh, last year we did quite a, quite a lot, actually. I think there were like three, maybe even four problems that involved uh, cellular automata. So this game of life um, kind of thing, where you have this almost mm. looks like living creatures that can kind of evolve on, on a grid. Um, and uh, I believe the, the reason for this was that uh, John Conway, who was kind of recognized as the inventor of game of life uh, died in 2020 so it's kind of in, in honor of him there were several of the okay um game of game of life problems last year and for those kind of things numpy is really nice this week i want to shine a spotlight on another real python video course it covers the topic we touch on during this week's episode and i think will come in handy in your pursuit of better solutions it's titled regular expressions and building regexes in Python. The course is based on a pair of articles by John Sturtz, and in the course, previous guest, Christopher Trudeau, takes you through 
practicing the fundamentals of building regular expressions, like matching meta-characters, regex, anchors, and quantifiers, and how grouping works. Then you'll learn how to implement all of those skills in Python, using the RE module, accessing the groups you've found, how to substitute, split, and escape, how to create flags, and several advanced matching techniques. I think learning how to harness the power of regular expressions is a worthy investment of your time. String matching like this is a common task in programming. You can get a lot done with string operators and built-in methods, but at times, you'll need these more sophisticated pattern matching capabilities. And like most of the video courses on RealPython, the course is broken into easily consumable sections, you get code examples for techniques shown, and all courses have a transcript including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or you can find it using the enhanced search tool on realpython.com. So we had Will McGugan on the show, and we talked about Rich and, you know, the kind of the TUI kind of thing. But mm. uh, one of the tools that you mentioned, you know, is in that kind of vein of uh, making the terminal and output, like, kind of prettifying pr- it somewhat of uh, Colorama. How are you using that? Yes, so Colorama seems to be yeah complementing Rich in a sense, and you can use Colorama to just place the cursor uh, in the terminal. I haven't found a, something in Rich that can do the same, but that means that I can uh, draw these grids, for instance, from NumPy in in the terminal. Oh, uh, okay. And and use that to to debug stuff, so it can kind of maybe there's a maze that needs some solving, and I'm kind of trying to figure out what, why I'm by not being able to solve the maze. And then you can use um, Colorama to actually just draw it directly in the terminal. So it's a, it's, a, it's a fairly straightforward and easy way to just visualize things. Yeah, I can imagine that there are going to be these circumstances where it may help you a lot just to be able to kind of see, like this year you're doing a bunch of stuff in a submarine. <laughs> and so there's like these sort of navigational uh, clues that are happening in in some of the puzzles and so i could imagine having something that might be able to visualize that uh even if it's just sort of simplified you know via text uh could be handy mm. so I, I could see some of those libraries like rich or colorama kind of being handy I, you know i'm just sort of thinking of like those are directions that the set of puzzles is going to go <laughs> so right um, yeah and that that is actually one of the fun things um uh so so the the biggest community around um Advent of Code lives on Reddit. So there's a subreddit called Advent of Code. Okay. And one of the things that pops up there all the time are people just visualizing things that I didn't even realize you could visualize uh, in all kind of fantastic manners. So, so oh, cool. It, it's gr- great to just surf around there and look at some of the amazing creations that people have been making in terms of visualizing different things. Yeah. And one thing that we're doing is having, I guess it's a pretty common thing to have like a shared leaderboard of people that are going through the the challenges. And I'm not even positive how that works. I haven't explored it yet. Right. Yeah, so Advent of Code comes with the leaderboard. And I guess this uh, uh, goes back a little bit to the underestimation of the popularity of the platform. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because since, since, since the beginning, I think the leaderboard has been the, the first, the fastest uh, 100 people to solve the puzzle and get on the leaderboard for the day. Oh, 
Yeah, a mere 100. <laughs> exactly. And, and that has kind of stayed constant for for the seven or at least the six years I've participated. And uh, I think by now, especially on the first puzzles of, of the year, the leaderboard fills up in a few minutes. Wow. So, so essentially, please just ignore the leaderboard in a sense that there's uh, the, the the people who are able to get on the leaderboard are just fantastic coders that are uh, h- highly prepared to, to do this and uh, kind of practice how to do it. Because so it, it, it's timing wise based on a release time that, you know, depending where you are in the world is going to be mm. advantageous or disadvantageous. Right. And, you know, isn't necessarily so like having your own one might be uh, more make more sense or, or, you know, or even, you know, people that are within your own little, you know, group. Yeah. So like we we're trying to do one on our Slack, I think, right? Yes, exactly. So, so yeah. So in addition to the global leaderboard, uh, which you should ignore, uh, what you definitely should try out are the private leaderboards. And as you say, these are things where you essentially everyone, once you log in, you, you have your own private leaderboard, and then you can kind of choose to share that with others. And then uh, people can join that private leaderboard. So as you said, at Real Python, we have uh, set up a private leaderboard then for members of the community. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, we, we have a fair amount of people joining that one. And then we have a discussion on our Slack forums after after the puzzle every day and, and how did people solve it and kind of share some tips and tricks and and laugh about the silly story and things like this. <laughs> so that, that's, um, I think, a much much better way to enjoy the advent of code together with people than s- striving for the global leaderboard. Yeah, yeah. You know, our, yeah, our whole point is, you know, like this is a learning experience, right? So yeah, and trying to get a little bit more out of it. and Exactly. And uh, th- this year, we've been several who have kind of been thinking about, okay, Python 3.10 recently came out with the structural pattern matching. So so that that's also something that's really nice to try out yeah. for several of these problems where you uh, do this data wrangling, right? And that's a little bit what the structural pattern matching is really good at. So so that's also something that's been a lot, a lot of fun to just try out and then sh- share some experiences afterwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's cool. One other kind of just talking internally real Python, you know, community thing is... Uh, we have uh, office hours for for members also, mm. and uh, you were able to join a recent one there and and talk about it. And you said you had kind of some interesting experiences there, kind of uh, <laughs> dabbling around. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so we did an office hour on December first, just when the first puzzle launched, and kind of uh, just uh, made sure to that people were aware of of Advent of Code. I was uh, doing a demo, kind of showing a little bit how to work with it. Uh, we decided that we didn't do the this year puzzle because we didn't want to spoil it for for those who hadn't hadn't done it yet oh yeah that makes sense okay so, so i picked up uh day one from 2018 and was working on that then at some point uh, there i also managed to uh, yeah shoot myself really hard in the foot uh by try, trying to show <laughs> an example of how a list is not the best thing to search through. If you just need to search through things, then if you're doing lookup, a set is much better. That kind of comes into play uh, in, in that puzzle. And to just show this, I was going to create a big list and then show that it was slow to iterate through. And I managed to create such a big list that it apparently crashed my computer and the whole demo, <laughs> which at least was a learning experience, probably for all of us. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah. create large lists at home. 
<laughs> there are limitations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of people get out of it, and, and we've kind of hinted on this a lot, is that there is not only a history of this idea of puzzles in you know computer science and and in you know computer programming and, and using it as a way to sort of practice your skills. Mm. Uh, and so there's like a whole sort of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, a set of different websites and other resources. And you provided a handful there. And I, I was familiar with a couple, like uh, I'm guessing it's pronounced Project Euler. Right. If I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, it's E-U-L-E-R. Mm. And that's the one that I had seen prior to Advent of Code. I mean, we could talk a little bit about that that one and then a couple of these other resources that you, you listed. Right, yeah. I think Project Euler must have been around a long time. I remember seeing it when I was at university as well, and it kind of started oh, okay. with some math puzzles. Um, but uh, it, I think it's kind of grown into being, uh, yes, yeah, still usually some math formulation around the puzzles. Um, but... Um, this is, and I guess we haven't properly said this. Uh, so, Advent of Code you can solve in any language, and the same with Project Euler. Right. And uh, the the trick to doing this is that you don't actually submit your code, right? You just submit the answer uh, to some problem. And so, so Project Euler in that sense is very similar to to Advent of Code. Then, once you kind of start solving the problems, you you get. For Project Euler, you get access to sort of like a community thread where you can discuss your solutions. Advent of Code doesn't offer any kind of discussion platform directly on the site. There, uh, it, it relies on places like Reddit for for doing the discussion or or more private things like we have on the Real Python community where we have a sort of like a private discussion about things. Then another site that I became aware of a couple of years ago when I was trying out some. Uh, a very neat kind of language course from uh, some place called Groxio. The, they they used a platform there called Exorcism that they used for the practice problems. <laughs> I love that name. Like it. Yes. You, you think of like okay, wait, wait. <laughs> are we talking like we're going to remove demons or something like that? But it's actually more like exercises. Exactly. Um, so there's no there's no additional O in there. No. But there's uh, <laughs> so yeah yeah. But there's uh, it's closely. <laughs> The spelling is too close, probably. Um, but yeah, Exorcism is a fantastic site for learning different programming languages. So it kind of has these learning tracks, and there it is focused. Uh, you get a lot of these small programming puzzles, but they're all kind of focused for a language. And then you you could get mentoring or definitely can discuss uh, with others uh, within that language. It's, it's great for actually kind of learning a new language and getting feedback on the, are you handling the idioms correctly and things like this. Cool. So, so I have been using that a little bit for just trying out some new uh, languages as well. You tried their Julia ones? Uh, to... The Julia one, uh, Elixir, uh, it's been something I've been dabbling it lately. Okay. Originally, I tried one called Crystal, which is uh, essentially a compiled version of Ruby. Uh, so there's there's lots of fun stuff to just yeah. uh, check out, I guess. 55 languages, wow. Yeah. Then there's, uh, yeah, I guess the two other ones I'm, I mentioned. There's one called Code Wars and another called Hacker Rank. And in Code Wars, again, based on small little puzzles, and there you they, they have a built-in editor with testing and so on, so you kind of solve it directly in the, in the browser. And again, there's there's a forum section to it, so you can kind of 
uh, compared to people, uh, other people, how they're doing it. And HackerRank is more focused on actually um, recruiting people and if you're looking for a job. Yeah. So it kind of offers you some certifications. And also there's a job board where uh, employers uh, can kind of say that we're interested in people. Please solve these puzzles for us so we can see, see your uh, coding skills and things like this. Hmm. So there's kind of things for all kinds of uh, what, what you want to get out of it. There's another one uh, we could probably link to. It's not on, in my tutorial, but we should link to it in the, in the uh, podcast notes called the Data Puzzles. Okay. Which is, I guess, uh, more if, if you're interested in doing data science and then uh, using data science to, to solve puzzles. Uh, so, so they had a couple of... Uh, very interesting puzzles as well. It's uh, they don't have a lot of puzzles, but the ones that are there are quite fun. Yeah, I, I mean, this is kind of an offshoot. Is when there are platforms that try to make uh, coding and solving problems into sort of game gamification of of that kind of uh, concept. And the one that I, I dabbled uh, after I heard this on uh, conversation on. Uh, teaching Python mm. with the creators of Twilio Quest and oh, right. um, and Twilio is kind of an interesting platform where you're you know able to create text messages and messaging and that sort of stuff and so it's a way that you know yes you can create this free account but what do you do with it and so they do it through this very eight bit style adventure game where you're mm. still kind of solving problems but as you set up things correctly in your environment and create your first like you know, API connections and calling to create these uh, text messages and kind of connecting it. And then you can pick different languages and they have a whole like, okay, if you want to implement it with Python, then you're kind of going down this whole avenue with Python versus JavaScript, which I thought was really clever. I guess there's one called Code Combat that is maybe like that too, which I haven't ever right. uh, tried that. I, I think I mixed the names of Code Wars and Code Combat up at some point, but mm. and I know that uh, Al Swagger wanted to uh, we were joking about creating something that wasn't, you know, involving like battling. <laughs> right. <laughs> that maybe we could make one that was based around like a, you know, uh, a farming simulator or something <laughs> like that, where you're automating all the uh, different tools and stuff. So, hmm. but yeah, th I mean, that's always been kind of a, a clever way to kind of get into uh, programming and and definitely like just to, you know, have if you find these things fun, there's a lot of really interesting ones that are out there in different platforms. Mm. The one that you mentioned, um, the one that's more sort of job based uh, hacker rank. Did you, uh, have you signed up for that? And uh, cause you're very much behind, like you got to go through their whole uh, login procedures before you can really even right. see anything what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've signed up and just played a little bit with it. I haven't used it for anything, uh, say, say proper uh, yet, but just okay. get to know the platform a little bit. Then there's also, the, there's a couple of things that are really specialized to learning particular skills. Okay. So, so one fun one that I came across a couple of years ago is called Vim Adventures. So, you know, the VI or Vim uh, editor. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, this... Uh, I guess VI, it's, it's one of the old classics on, um, um, well, Unix, I guess, originally back from the 70s. And uh, it, it's extremely powerful, but also kind of has this huge learning curve. Uh, so there's essentially some a site called Vim Adventures, where you can learn Vim while playing a game. So it's essentially a dungeon crawl. But to move around, you actually need to type these Vim commands. So 
and it kind of forces you to. Yeah, that'd be a good way to get them, internalize them. Um, exactly. The way that like a, yeah. a spelling or not spelling, but a typing uh, tutor kind of game might get you to internalize some of the, you know, get your fingers in the right places. Yeah, okay. Exactly. And I also remember this one. It's a long time since I came across this one, but I think it's still around called Command Line Murder Mystery. So <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> Maybe we should rename it for, <laughs> but uh, essentially it's, it's a repo where there's just tons of information hidden in huge text files. And to be able to uh. figure this out, you, you need to just uh, try out different command line tools to kind of, so you learn things like grep where you can search for a word inside of a document and, and some cut, I guess, where you can, cut out columns and things like this. That sounds really amazing. I got to find that. <laughs> There's so, so much amazing things that people make. Yeah. Um, so, so many cool resources out there. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's just, we mentioned the idea of like comparing different programming languages and taking your skills across, but just sort of, you know, if you want to try out, like you just mentioned also the idea of hey, there's these new things that are happening in these new versions of Python. Hmm. Now that it's annual, it's becoming even more uh, one of these things where maybe you're interested in seeing, well, what what can we do with the, the Walrus operator from a couple of years ago? Yeah. You know, like maybe these aren't things that you're going to put in your day-to-day -day code, but you could see how they solve these problems and, and it becomes much more internalized to, to what you're doing, which hmm. I think is, you know, that's a, another great resource. Are there other reasons that you see people should be dabbling in in these types of code puzzles yeah i know eric wassel himself kind of says that the most important reason to do it is because it's fun uh you, you should just <laughs> right uh ha have fun with it it's kind of the, the the biggest takeaway yeah there's apparently also been uh, people who have been using this for uh, recruit recruitment so you can kind of show off your puzzling puzzle solving skills uh sort of like as a for for interested employers and things like this that you can actually solve puzzles effectively. Apparently, there's it's been used in courses at the university. Oh, okay. Er, Eric Wassel again in in this uh, talk that he has, which we're linking to, uh, shows an example where the final exam of some course is solve uh, Advent of Code Day One Two Three Four Five in 2019. <laughs> it's kind of uh, so that's the final exam to pass the course, and it's kind of all kind of weird things that people have been doing with it. That's kind of relying on you know the, the teacher didn't do their homework. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it might not be the best uh, best version of <laughs> what to do with it, but it's, uh, it pops up in all kind of weird places. Yeah. And we should mention that you can donate to to kind of keep this thing going also. Hmm. Um, and you mentioned that in the in the article, but I'll include links for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so it's, it is possible to donate some money. And then it's also great to just support it by getting the word out and helping people yeah. and supporting each other and things like this. So, yeah, totally. So, uh, you know. It's been a while since we've done this. I think the other couple of times we've been on, um, we had multiple guests, and so I didn't think I don't think we went through this. But right. um, the first one is uh, what's something that you're excited about in the world of Python right now? Yes. Yeah, so, so if I'm uh, being very personal, I'm very excited about uh, having gone full time with Real Python, uh, and I think yeah. that will be <laughs> a lot of fun to be able to dig even more into into things on this side. Uh, I had a friend who just told me, "You just turn your hobby into work." And I think that's definitely true. <laughs> so now I might need a new hobby, but I will figure that one out. 
And then uh, more broadly, I guess, I- I'm really excited to be, to be able to try out the pattern matching features a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So lately, I have been playing around with Elixir, I think I briefly mentioned it earlier, uh, which is a functional uh, language that really has this structural pattern matching completely baked into the language and it kind of opens up so many fun fun possibilities so the python version of this is a little bit i guess it's a light version of what's done in several of these functional programming languages but uh, at the same time i think it could open up uh, many different avenues So, so i'm really excited to just try them out and see see what i'm able to do there cool and then this one is not doesn't have to be Python specific, um, but what's something that you want to learn next? I guess I touched on it. Um, Elixir. So, so this is a language that I mentioned. It, it's functional um, and uh, it runs on the Erlang uh, platform essentially. So this kind of is something that I I got fascinated with a long time ago. Is uh, so Erlang kind of comes from the Ericsson Telecom company. Oh, didn't know that. And it's been used in telecom in the 80s and 90s. And it has this just completely crazy reliability and concurrency built into the platform, uh, mainly through message passing. So all the little processes are just sort of like passing messages around. I I was briefly looking at this quite a long time ago, but Erlang has this weird syntax that I never was able to really wrap my head around. So then not too long ago, I want to say 2012 maybe or something, Elixir was created, which is um, then a much nicer syntax on top of the uh, Ericsson platform or Erlang platform. Is So in the ways that it being functional, the, the idea of sort of not changing exactly the the state and stuff like that, yeah. that, that would help those kind of platforms a lot. That makes sense to me. Yes, so, so it's uh, Elixir is essentially immutable, and that kind of helps a lot with the concurrency, right? Because then you can kind of trust that, okay, this thing will never change. So you, you can just run off in many different processes with it. Mm. Okay. And I have been just keeping an eye on this for a long time, uh, but then this spring, they, they launched something called uh, NX, a numerical Elixir, mm. where they somehow uh, have added a numerical layer on top of Elixir. And that can do machine learning, data science, and those kind of things. And I haven't yet come, got myself to the level of understanding Elixir enough to be able to to work with this. To stack that on top of it. <laughs> right. But that's what really got me excited since I'm, I'm doing, or I kind of come from a, this data science background. Yeah. So, so that will be... Yeah, a lot of fun to look at. And actually, uh, if to tie this back to Advento Code, uh, so Jose Valim, who is the creator of Elixir, so essentially the Guido of Elixir, I guess, um, is actually solving uh, Advento Code using Elixir and, and NX and live streaming it uh, this year. So I'll be watching some of those videos as well to just yeah he- hear from the creator uh, some of the things that are happening there. That's cool. There's a couple different people that are, are doing that on different platforms. So yeah, that'd be kind of a right. an interesting watch to, to compare um, across them. As Python's growing, you know, I hear you know people in the core development of it are, are very interested in what other languages are doing, hmm. and, and that makes sense. You know, for the language to kind of, I think it has to evolve in in certain ways and yeah, uh, and and improve. And so like 
you can see where they're getting these ideas from. Right. Yeah, I think it's really healthy that uh, Python is learning from other languages and other languages are learning from Python, right? So, so there are, even in Elixir, we see things that are inspired by Python, uh, although it's more of the uh, Erlang and Ruby uh, roots and things like this. But, um, and, and likewise, if Python can kind of uh, get some inspiration from these other languages, like the structural pattern matching comes from these functional languages. So I think that's just a win-win for all parts, right? We're kind of evolving uh, towards something better. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show again. It's been really fun to talk to you, and and I look forward to to uh, our conversations going forward uh, now that you're uh, doing real Python full-time. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It's always fun to stop by here, and yeah, uh, we'll keep in touch. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Don't forget, you can get simple cloud data connectivity to SaaS, big data, and NoSQL from Pandas, SQL Alchemy, Dash, and Petal. Learn more at cdata.com. I want to thank Gerarna for coming on the show this week. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.